Hello, and welcome to the Great Birth Rebellion podcast, where we grapple with current research to help you get the best out of your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journey while still challenging the dominant birth culture. I'm your host, Dr. Melanie Jackson at Melanie the Midwife, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host, B from Core and Flora Store, and this is The Great Birth Rebellion. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. I've got two special guests here today, one of which you'll know already, but the other one you haven't yet been introduced to. So today, and people have been asking for this topic, guys, so it's amazing that you could both be here to talk about this in particular, is the journey of postpartum motherhood. And so today we've got B here with us as usual, but she's in her She's got a different hat on today and I'm going to take a back seat as the interviewer today and let you guys just give us all your wisdom around the postpartum journey and motherhood. And we've also got Lael Stone with us and you've just recently stepped down from your very incredibly popular podcast, the Aware Parenting Podcast. It's still going though, right? Yeah, yeah, it's still going. So we've we've still, I mean, I did, I think, 134 episodes and now Marion's taking it over and doing her her stuff with We're Parenting. But yes, I, I stepped back from that. I think mainly because I felt like we talked about everything we could talk about. Now I'm <laughs> like, what, what else should we talk about? But I felt like it was such a beautiful big body of work that, that I felt like it was complete. So yeah, yeah, I just stopped yeah. maybe a month or two ago. Amazing. Can you tell us what else you do with your life? Who's Lael? Where's your expertise and what do you do with that professionally? Thank you. Well, you know, when people say, what do you do? I always struggle a little bit because I'm like, I do a lot of things, but my kind of titles at the moment are I'm an I'm an author, a speaker, and um, an educator and a consultant. So I actually started working in birth nearly 20 years ago. So I was a childbirth educator. I taught calm birth for a really long time. I, I worked as a doula for about 15 years, I think. And I also did a lot of postnatal kind of counseling, mainly with trauma for both, you know, all families, like mums and dads, that kind of stuff. And then I moved into doing a lot of work with aware parenting. So I worked as a kind of parenting educator for a long time. I'm running workshops and groups and working one-on-one. So I've, I've probably my pre- predominant stuff I've been done is really being a therapist for probably the last 18 years or so. And then I moved on to working with teenagers for about five years. I taught pleasure-based sex education in secondary schools, which was one of the most fun jobs I've ever done. And then I also built my own school about three years ago. So I created a school called Woodline Primary. And um, that was massive. One of the, That was like my fourth child. I think that was one of the hardest things I've ever done, building that. So I have my beautiful school that I've built and I'm on a lot of podcasts. These days I do a lot of public speaking all around Australia. I work with the Resilience Project. My first book came out last year called Raising Resilient and Compassionate Children that I, I wrote with Marion Rose. Yeah, and these days I find myself just, you know, doing a lot of wonderful work all over Australia, talking and speaking. You know, B and I do some really fantastic, beautiful stuff together for mamas. And and probably my most important job is I'm a mum to three beautiful kiddos. So my son is almost 23 and I have a 19-year-old daughter and a 15-year-old daughter. And I'm in the next phase of my life, which I know when you've got little people and you can't even go to the toilet on your own, you only daydream about those days where you just go and make yourself a sandwich and sit outside and have a cup of tea and you're undisturbed, right? I know how hard it is. But I'm in this next phase where some weekends my husband and I look at each other and go, oh, my God, there's no there's no children around. What are we going to do? So that that's probably who I am in a bit of a nutshell. Oh, I have a question about this is kind of, oh, this is already a sidetrack. You know, somebody I heard someone say that 
you know, one day you'll miss that you can't, that you walk through the house and have to pick up all these little toys mm. off the floor, kids' toys and stuff that's just always spread everywhere when you have little kids. Do you miss the mess? No. Okay, because I'm like, I'm not going to miss. I don't think I'm going to miss the mess. No, okay, no. Good. And I don't, I don't miss having to buckle kids into car seats and I don't miss having to go, come on, let's get in the bath. <laughs> like, or, I mean, there's, there's the beautiful things you miss of their like squishy little faces and how good they smell and those cuddles and just the cuteness of them learning and all that beautiful divine gorgeousness. I think you deeply miss, but but I also love having teenagers and adult children. It is so awesome. Like I love the teenage years, even though I know that can feel really full on for some people, but I also love having young adults because you just have this whole new profound connection and relationship and you talk about stuff in a whole other way and they're just really excellent humans and I just love hanging out with them when we get to hang out with them so I I you know I loved that phase of my life when I was in the whole birthing babies and breastfeeding and all that kind of gorgeous stuff but now in this next phase I am really digging this part and I'm not ready. I, I don't want to go back. I'm ready for like grandkids. Not yet, but like in 10 years, I'm like, yeah, then we can have other little grandbabies and look after them. And I get to do all that loving. And I've still got my sling that I used to carry my kids in. I'm like, I'm going to get out my sling and I'm going to put the my grandbabies in there. And I love that phase so much, but I think I'm in that next um, little phase now, which is just yeah, really beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, good. You've just relieved a whole bunch of mother guilt that I had about not savouring all of the tiny little messy things. Mm. So thanks for that. Mm. And B, I reckon we need a full introduction of you again, because if people didn't listen to episode one of The Great Birth Rebellion, they wouldn't fully know who B is, but you do a lot more work than just midwifery. There's a whole lot more that goes deep, B. So just, just give us a rundown. Where What do you do? But, um, so I think it's, you know, I, I'm, I often think about the fact that you and I are doing this podcast around birth because birth and, and, and being a birth lover, cause I really am, but that was a big part of my life for 15 years. And really what I do now is postpartum more than anything. Um, and I think I became really passionate about postpartum when I had my first postpartum and I realized as midwives, you know, we have this incredible scope of practice and this ability to work in the space and we don't. So what I do now is around really the body and and the mind um, in the postpartum space. So I do a lot of one-on-one birth debriefs. I do birth preparation chats. I do core and pelvic floor consults. I do one-on-one sessions around connecting people better to their pelvic bowl and doing internal release work and any trauma that kind of that lies in our pelvic bowl because and people have heard me say this a lot on the podcast but the bowl holds so much of our story it's not just the floor and the muscles Um, there is so much in that space that is so sacred and often what we hold around our body is a lot of grit and shame and so what I'm doing now is a lot of work around yeah moving from shame shaming our bodies to honoring them and healing them. And so I have my online programs and live classes around core and pelvic floor health, which I really built with a huge, you know, emotional health foundation. And I, and I knew what I was doing at the time, but now I look back and I was like, wow, you really knew what you were doing without actually knowing what you were doing. Because I was building like my pregnancy program is all around that emotional 
uh, health and the connection to the body and the mental preparation for birth. But what I was doing was coming at it with compassion. And then the postpartum program I have, or you can use it for preconception too, but it was all around having compassion for our bodies and connecting with our bodies and listening to it. So like in my pregnancy program, I don't say do this in trimester one, do this in trimester two. I built my pregnancy program without clear instructions and it drives some people absolutely crazy because I didn't I I so often as especially as women we turn to external authority be, to be told what to do around our bodies and then we get to becoming pregnant and people are like listen to your body and people are like how how do I do it and so I built this program to try and reinforce that message of this is how you listen to it you can listen to it you can trust it and and that has kind of been the foundation of core and floor all along I don't feel like I did that sync it was really (laughs) kind of goes with your questions so yeah I do I do exercise stuff I do connection stuff it's kind of just approach women's bodies in particular but I work with men and I work with trans people too so I approach bodies just bodies in a very holistic way, encompassing the mental, physical, and emotional health. And I've kind of built my my company based on the need of what people I've work, been working with have needed. So I started doing exercise and then I realized that the exercise would only take you so far. And then I started doing the debriefing stuff because I realized that emotional trauma needed to be moved in order for the body to physically heal And then I'd started doing this internal work to allow people, not to allow, but to kind of create a beautiful space for people to be able to come back into their bodies. Amazing. And how did you, how did your work, yours and Lael's work, meet? Like where, how did you guys get together? We actually had a conversation about this a while ago because I was like, how did we meet? And I thought Lael had reached out to me, but actually I'd reached out to her. So it was early 2019. No, early 2020, and I just made my four online programs, so my core and floor restore programs, and a good my one of my absolute most favorite people in the whole world, Jess, who's an osteopath, was like, you need to contact these people and tell them that you've made this program. So Jess had done my program face-to-face, so I'd ran core and floor as a face-to-face program. I kind of moved into the fitness world as a postpartum person when I realized that the fit fitness industry was really detrimental to pregnant and postpartum bodies. And so I, I, I ran the programs in my hometown and then a couple of really good friends were like, more people need access to this. You need to go online. And so it just so happened that I finished making the programs in like January, 2020, all online. And then I reached out to Lael and told her about my program. And she has an amazing program called About Birth Online, which is a brilliant online birth education program. And then we just connected on social media and Lael reached out and was like, do you want to, you know, do some stuff around parenting on as an Instagram live? And so we did a couple of sessions and I was like, wow, I need what she's talking about. And then we had an incident in our family that, made me want to reach out to Lael and work deeper with her personally. And so we did. And I do remember the first chat. I was like, it hurt. I mean, it, it hurt so much because so many of my wounds came up and I was just like, nah, F this. I'm not, I'm not doing this. And I was like, I'm never going to talk to Lael again. <laughs> and 
I needed to talk to Lael again. So I've worked with her personally and then professionally. I was like, all women need this because I know that, you know, I have a big saying, never alone, right? And I think, you know, so much of what I've done and what has attracted people to me is through sharing my stories. And I've shared my stories around incontinence and prolapse, and that's what's brought people to my physical work. And now I share a lot of my mothering journey because I hated motherhood for the first, I loved the first six months, but from six months to like two years, I, I, it was horrible and really, really hard. And so the work I've done with Lael has been so life-changing and I know that can be really cliche, but I mean it in the most beautiful sense of it. It has shifted so much for us as a family, for me individually, for my beautiful husband, for our children and for the people around me, you know, my parents and my friends and the people that follow me. And it's, it is life-changing the work that Lael's doing. And I think, you know, motherhood has changed so much in a way that's not conducive to our emotional and physical health. And I think what Lael and I do is so beautiful because I kind of come at it with my physical knowledge and she comes up at it with her beautiful emotional knowledge and it just complements each other. And I think what we create together is the modern postpartum because we have to change. We have lost the village. We have had to adapt to a new way of mothering with paid work and all our creature comforts and our nuclear homes you know, and our and our social media and our mobile phones, like there is no choice here. You know, it, it feels like, I mean, this is a bit horrible, but it is like life is always survival of the fittest, right? And so I feel like what Lael and I get to do is go, here's, here's another way that is so much more nurturing and feels so much better mm-hmm. because I think what we've created doesn't feel very good for a lot of people. Mm. And I think, and that's what we're going to really dive into today with both of you is how do we hold women in their postpartum journey so it doesn't feel like what you went through? It's huge. Yeah. Well, let's, I've got some questions for you guys that I hope everybody else is also have on their mind to ask you. So I feel like I'm advocating for the the listenership here. So, So let's talk about this transition to motherhood. There's no doubt that it's challenging, but why do you think in this modern age of motherhood, what, why is it so difficult for women to transition into that role? I've got lots of feelings around this. So I just want to say too, thank you for all that beautiful love, B. It's really beautiful to hear that. And, you know, when we created our About Birth program, our catch line was this, the first step of your parenting journey, because the birth was, well, it kind of maybe even a bit before that, but it is the first part and can often set up what happens for us as parents, particularly if we've had trauma and a traumatic experience and and all those kind of things can have a huge impact on then how we journey into parenthood. So I love that you said that. I think, look, there's many factors I think that play into why it feels really, really challenging for our for mothers these days moving into that postpartum. I think, you know, firstly, and we we all know this, the lack of the village makes a massive difference. You know, we have these babies and often from our systems, uh, they're sent home, you know, maybe six hours after you've had your baby. It could be the next day. It could be three days, even if you've had a cesarean. 
that you've sent home and we're often sent home without the village to take care of us. There's no one really there, our neighbours or our aunties or our cousins or mothers or whoever it is making sure that we are looked after, that we are in bed bonding with our babies, that we are being fed nourishing food, that we are being massaged and taken care of, that other children are being taken care of. You know, many of us are sent home to our kind of nuclear little families and it's like, okay, here you go, like off you go. And particularly with the first baby, you know, you have everybody will absolutely, you know, say the same thing. You have absolutely no idea what you're doing. I was 25 when I had my son. I was so young and naive. I I knew nothing. I reckon I read one book and I'll be like, I'll be right. Like, how hard can it be? That was my theory. Yeah, it didn't, didn't fare well. And I remember like two days later, my husband and I coming home and we've got this baby and we're looking at each other going, what the fuck do we do now? Like, you know, this like... And, you know, a, I think a maternal health nurse came and visited for like half an hour and then someone came the next day. But we like, honestly, we were just so young and naive. And on some level, I look back on that and think it, it helped, you know, what, what did happen is I had to rely on my intuition. I had to kind of move into going, how can I do this in a different way? And, but I also just felt like I was drowning because I had no idea around how to support. So I think on some level, the lack of the village is one of the first big pieces is that we don't have that massive support network around us that we need in that postpartum phase. I think we're also not really exposed to the realities of what that that phase of that of our journey is so and and again i think we look at and you can say the same thing about birth what we're taught about birth particularly through the media is that it's dangerous it's usually high risk it's you know there's an emergency of some point and that's often what we're indoctrinated in around well that's what birth is going to be and that's what our subconscious story often holds for many of us unless we've been exposed to other incredible experiences or positive experiences around birth and i think in that postnatal phase as well we are also kind of so this reality you just go home and then you get on with your baby and it's off but nobody's really talking about the fact that you know you might have to wear a nappy for a few days because you know all these bodily fluids are coming out and that it might feel really sore to sit down and your breasts are going to feel potentially really engorged or like there's none of the realities that are often shown around what it is now I have to say from starting working in birth nearly 20 years ago to now you know 20 years ago we didn't have Instagram and I remember I was laughing the other day about when I used to go and teach birth classes, I would have to search and search and search and bribe people to see if I could use their their birth video so I could show people the reality of what it was. And now you can actually just open Instagram and see as many births as you want. So there is on some level, there is more awareness that we've got out there because we have access to seeing other people's stories and journeying into their homes and that kind of stuff. But I think we're still needing a lot more education around this next post postnatal phase and how that can look. So on some one hand, you know, I think we, we've we been kept in the dark, but it is opening up a little bit more to be able to see what it is that, what it can be. But I also think too, we have reached this point as women or whoever's birthing that we've got this belief that we should be able to do it all. And so if we're not feeling great, you know, five days after we've had a baby, then maybe there's something wrong with us. We often compare ourselves to what we see online as well. So I think that can also be very detrimental. And I think everybody's postpartum journey is different and women recover differently. Some feel really wonderful and ecstatic because of how they birthed and, you know, becoming a mother. Others can feel really devastated. Some can feel really broken. I think every journey is different. 
And the number one thing that we need in this phase is support and unconditional love and holding and nourishing and nurturing so that the mother can then learn to to love and nourish and nurture her baby. And for the women who do have some kind of a village and support network because there must be a collection of women who have great family ties or really understanding friends or some kind of a community around them. What advice would you give to women who to, to be able to properly access their support network to how to direct their support networks to look after them in the postpartum? Well, I think, I mean, I think education is really powerful, isn't it? So I think firstly, it's getting partners on board to be, to help them understand firstly, hey, this is what this next phase might look like. And what is it that would support you? You know, firstly, mum's job is to take care of the baby. Partner's job is to take care of mum. And then our community's job or family relative's job is to also take care of the partner so that it's a, it's a big team effort of how do we hold and take care of everybody. I think there's, you know, to be able to have a postpartum plan, we have birth plans that we often go, well, this is, this is ideally what I'd love in my birth experience. I think a post Partum plan is a really, really good idea as well, which is doing things like setting up a, a food tree or a food roster for six weeks so that your beautiful friends, I used to say this, you know, your friends don't really want to buy you teddy bears. They're like, how can we help you? So cook me a beautiful, nutritious meal and leave it out the front of my house. There'll be a box there. You don't even ring the doorbell. Just text me. And if I want to see you, I'll let you in. And if not, thank you for making me a meal. And just one meal a week, if you've got six or seven people who are willing to do that, what a gift to that new family just of food. Or what else would it be? Someone to come and walk your dog or somebody to help out with your washing or someone to just come and sit and chat to you if you need to talk or, or you know, hold your baby while you have a sleep. What do you think that you might need? And again, I think there's beautiful forums and information out there that do guide people to say this is these are kind of really core things that can really support the new family when you've had a baby. I think too, a big part of what we have as a culture now is we've made postpartum all about the baby. So we have baby showers. And the last thing baby needs is pretty little clothes. The first thing the baby needs is a beautiful, connected, well, healthy family. You know, even the way we talk about birth, we say, um, you know, all, all I want is a healthy baby. And well, at least you had a healthy baby. What about the person birthing? What about her partner? What about the family as a unit? We need to stop focusing so much on the baby and start focusing on the family and seeing everyone as equal and how we can support them. So a beautiful thing that people can ask for rather than a baby shower is, you know, there's like a mother blessing. There's different words for it. I had one with mine and the focus was on me. The focus was on my incredible village of women saying, we've got you and we've not only got you for this birth and we're not only holding energy for you for this birth, we've got you for postpartum and we are going to nourish you emotionally, mentally and physically. And and my mama came and beautifully did that role as well. My mother was made for postpartum support, like she cooks and cleans and it was, you know, all that stuff. And you know, really utilizing people for their strength. But I think a big part of this is cultural, how we live, how we are connected to people, our busyness, what we value, and and our traumas. And a lot of people 
don't feel safe. They have very big stories around asking and receiving help. People think if they receive help, then they'll have to pay somebody back or they're weak and vulnerable because there is this huge grit that we hold around the fact that we have to do it all. And if we're not, then we're weak and we're vulnerable or we're not good enough or we're not as good as the next person. And so a big part of being able to receive this help is looking at our own stories. You know, it's that understanding what's actually, what pieces are here for you. So if you are somebody who's like, yeah, I don't actually for help or receive it and often our story is well people won't help me or people won't hope people won't want to do that for me people love helping because it brings connection it feels good right and as Lael said it feels so much better to make someone a meal and for them to go oh that was exactly what I needed than to unwrap a teddy bear and, and the love that you put into it like you know All we have at the end of the day, at the end of our life is connection. And somehow we've taken a sidetrack. We're sidetracked right now. We're really sidetracked. We're disconnected. And what we need is a lot of connection. And postpartum is a beautiful offering for people to get more connected. You know, one of the things that I have witnessed over many, many years of working, particularly with mothers, is their relationship and their imprint around being supported and and particularly self-care. And whether we like it or not, most of us have watched the female figures in our life around their relationship to self-care or getting their needs met. And the majority of people watched their mothers or their grandmothers or their aunties self-sacrifice a lot or be the martyr or, no, no, don't worry about me, I'll meet everyone else's needs first, then maybe mine will come down the list. And so often I pose the question to many women is like, what did you watch in your family of origin growing up around self-care or around having support? And a lot of the times, as B mentioned, we have a story around it, which means, well, if you help me, I have to help you. Or if I'm getting my needs met, then then my partner will have to. Or no, no, you know, if I sat down and took care of myself, then that would mean I'm lazy because what I've watched is women in my family do five things at once and, and do stuff for everybody else. A good mother is one that sacrifices her needs for everybody else. That's a big one. Uh, playing the martyr is a huge piece that many people can play. So I think it's really- the martyr sorry i'm going to interrupt you there that that martyr piece is huge for people because that's when they they then think they get a break yeah right if if i make because often we think we're only worthy of help we're only worthy of getting a break if people can see how hard it is for us and so we play out that martyr role to then go well someone's going to help us and often no one does and then that leads to a lot of resentment and so these stories are so important to understand about ourselves because they make us who we are and they and they drive our behaviors sorry they, yeah no you you're right on honey and they they're often deeply subconsciously ingrained like we don't even realize we have them because i will say to women what would it mean to you if you asked for some support what would it mean if you actually just sat on the couch and did nothing and the stories come up of like oh no i'd feel guilty or i'm lazy or i might get judged or my mother-in-law might not approve or 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 and they're usually just stories that we've taken on board from what we've witnessed and watched and and that also has a big cultural impact from our society you know what we're told around what this phase of our life looks like and i think they're really important questions to ask and to be challenged on because a lot of the time the stories we tell ourselves are not even true and if the question i often pose to people is this what would you want it to look like 
So let's just imagine your beautiful babies here in the world. What would you want this next two months of your life to look like? What would feel nourishing, nurturing, completely holding for you? Now, a lot of times people go, oh, well, I'd love this, this and this, but we can't afford it or but that wouldn't work or but my partner wouldn't do it or but, 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 but. And I'm like, let's just start with what you want and then let's open the window of possibility for how that could could happen. And sometimes, you know, the journey of that is women actually claiming space to say, you know what, I'm really worthy of this. And I, and what is important here is this deeply bonded, beautiful, attached relationship I have with my baby and the family. And the way that we can do that is to make sure I'm taken care of. And I spend beautiful time skin on skin with my bubba, smelling the top of their head, learning the beautiful art of breastfeeding, if that's what you want to do, learning who their sounds are and, and what their body is and all that beautiful stuff while we rest and recover and nourish ourselves because you are going to be far better off six months down the track if we do that as opposed to just getting on with it a week later. You know, I'm sure you have both seen this. I've seen so many women crash a few months in having a new baby because they never took that time to meet those needs for themselves. The other thing that is really has really changed in this space or what's really missing is that no one owns postpartum as a profession. So we have midwifery and the scope of midwifery is to work until six weeks postpartum. Most midwives in the system may do up until day three to day five. Some hospitals will offer care up to day 10. Most private midwives work to their full scope and, and support that family until six weeks postpartum and you can just there are some midwives that will just offer antenatal and postnatal care and there are some beautiful doulas that do that as well and so those first few weeks can be taken care can be provided but it's often at a cost and I I really want to bring in here I want you to think about how much you spent on your wedding if you're married I want you to think about how much you're spending on baby equipment like some prams now cost thousands of dollars. And yes, that equipment, yes, you're going to use it. But can you look secondhand for that and maybe save some money so you can spend some money on your emotional and physical health? Because here's the thing, you never regret spending money on, on your own health and supporting your health. But so we have midwifery and postpartum doulas. They do cost money and they're not accessible for everyone either financially or location-wise, right, especially for people that are living in rural and remote areas. Then we have maternal and child health nurses, and they're meant to own postpartum in terms of from that six weeks to a couple of years post. But it varies state to state. Every state's doing their own thing. Then often they are restricted by the, the system that they're working in. So whether it's publicly funded or community or hospital, like, you know, often it's owned by different sectors. And then that guides what support and advice they give. And I'm going to be very generalized here. Typically that space is about the baby. And what that care becomes is around the baby's development and and the baby's medical needs more than anything. It's really that Western approach, Western medicine approach to care uh, doesn't often encompass everything, especially in, in a holistic way. And so I think what happens is postpartum gets left behind for the person who's given birth. 
And so there isn't the discussion around what's going on for your baby, um, your body. I mean, see, look, I just did it then. What's going on for your body in terms of prolapse, incontinence, cesarean wound, healing, scar massage, exercise, you know, and I think a huge thing that really prevents our healing, whereas det- doesn't prevent it, it's detrimental to it, is the six-week check because people are told to do nothing for six weeks and especially I come at this from a real physical thing. People are told to walk postpartum. We don't want people to walk postpartum. Walking is a full body exercise that places a lot of strain on the body. And what a lot of people do postpartum is they're not just walking. They're walking, wearing their baby or pushing something, pushing the pram. Then they're, if they're a mother of more than one or a parent of more than one, they've got the other child, the bike, the, the, the bike that didn't want to get ridden, the dog and all the extra things. And so what they're doing is they're adding all this extra weight. Postpartum is a time of healing. Healing requires rest. And a lot of women are unable to rest. And then that isn't supported by our culture or the system. So we don't want people to walk. So we get to, people get told, don't do anything until the six-week check. And then what the six-week check has kind of set up is this belief system that we don't have to do anything for six weeks. And then once we hit six weeks, we magically heal. And all our organs fall back into place. And I remember being at uni and, and being taught along those lines of, you're, you know, you're back to your pre-pregnant state at six weeks. Well, maybe those hormones are coming back into balance. Maybe they're not, actually. Maybe they're not. Every person is unique. And as Lael said, every postpartum is unique. And then people get to that six-week check and they get cleared for exercise. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> Right. And this is why I think I've become so passionate about the postpartum because I see lots of people doing great work in birth and more of us are doing more work in postpartum. But we've really just, it's like, oh, you've birthed your baby now. Let's just care about the baby. No. If we want to truly care about a baby, we have to care about its parents. And more importantly, we have to care about that person that's given birth and is now recovering and healing. And no one holds this in a really holistic way. And I think, you know, there's a there's a huge scope for maternal and child health nurses, but it's going to take a lot of education and a lot of support and nourishing nourishing them to be able to then hold the space for postpartum people to heal. Well, it sounds like what you're saying kind of with this kind of gap, because we we know there's this gap for women postnatally, which sounds like exactly what you guys have identified and, you know, we're keen to sort of help women understand what they need in that time. You know, Lael mentioned earlier that there's this lack of village and B, you're saying there's no ownership from any health professional over the postpartum journey. It sounds like it's quite possible that society needs to take back the postpartum journey for women and acknowledge that it's a social, not a medical event, quite possibly that, you know, yeah, there might be some health and medical needs in the postpartum where we, you know, might need to see a physiotherapist or somebody in, in regards to healing physically postpartum. Do you think it's possible that if we heal the social fabric of what women need postnatally, that will go away to to fill the gap of what is lacking in postpartum care. If if our culture was able to recognise the need to heal postpartum, that would then drive the system to meet the need. 
And so much of what I see in my work, because I don't just work with people early postpartum. Most people come and find me in their 40s, 50s, 60s. I've worked with people in their 90s. And everything that I see really is a lack of postpartum healing. And I think this is culturally what happens is women generally feel okay in that first postpartum. And if they don't, they suck it up because we do value this grit as women. So they suck it up. And, you know, our culture really celebrates the bounce back. You've just got to listen to how women speak to each other. We compliment based on appearance right? And I had this happen to me with a maternal child health nurse. I turned up to this appointment with my second baby and she was like, well, you look fantastic. So you must be doing well. And she meant it with so much love. I know she did. But what I said to her is actually, I feel like my vagina's filling out and emotionally I'm feeling the worst I've ever felt. And she was like, oh, okay then. Well, you know what to do about that. Right. And I know that's my experience, but my story is so many women's stories. Mm. And what I was saying in that moment was I need help because whilst I know all the things, you can't midwife yourself. You can't postpartum physically recover yourself. You needed a lot of help. And what ended up happening is I spiraled. And that prolapse, I mean, I'm grateful for it now. I'm so grateful for it. But it was huge for me. And I was digging around in the dark, trying to figure it out while transitioning to having two children. And that was so hard. And I had some beautiful friends and help along the way. But we really talk about, oh, look, you look amazing. And aren't you incredible? And so there's this whole culture that we've generated around bouncing back, which you don't. We don't bounce back to anything. We're going forwards and we're going forwards now with this new body and this new story and the stories we're taking with us and this new family unit. And so, yeah, our culture really has to step up. We have to value and honour postpartum healing. And so much of what I see in these women is that they didn't feel the need to recover postnatally the first time around or it wasn't seen and valued and supported And then what happens is they move into their second pregnancy and they go, whoa, this feels different this time. And I didn't leak urine last time. And wow, I feel so much heavier this time along. And I didn't get hip pain till 35 weeks last time. And now I'm getting it at 20. And that's our beautiful bodies going, hi, remember us? Yeah, like we didn't really heal actually. And now things hurt a lot more. And then by the third pregnancy, what typically people say is they feel broken and again, you know, once you've got three kids, there often isn't that, you know, we we don't make that time for self-care. And I went to say there isn't time for it. There is time for it. We just don't value it and we don't we don't allocate the time for it. Because it's not about making time. We can't make time. We're not like, you know, time is set. <laughs> We're not, it's about allocating the time for it and feeling worthy enough to allocate that time for us and seeing value in it. Because when we see the value in nurturing the the mother, what we truly understand is the flow and effect of that is when you nurture the mother, you nurture the whole family. And And our culture doesn't see that. And so, yeah, culturally we need the change, but we need to, those of us that work in this space, we need to put pressure on the system to change because people don't source and get the care that they need because they can't afford it. And that is a true reality, right? Physiotherapy, osteopathy, massage, good food, it's expensive. And we're at a crisis point in the moment where the cost of living is going up. And I really, my biggest drive is this should all be postnatally publicly funded. We give people pregnancy care, right? And look at what we give women in pregnancy, right? 
and we give them so many appointments. And then what do we do postpartum? And it's because we limit postpartum to six weeks, but we also don't give them enough appointments in that six weeks. And then we don't give them all the allied health that they need. I would love a bucket of money that is like, this is your bucket of money, spend it on how you need. So if you need to go and see a nutritionist and a counselor, you go and do that. If you need to see a physio, you go and do that. Every story and every postpartum is valid and what you need is valid. And so if you need physiotherapy, you should be able to access that. I just really question, you know, B, you and I, the Great Birth Rebellion is all about, you know, the fact that the system is often not evidence-based and gives women what they think they need rather than what they actually need. And that if we asking the system to look after women postnatally, are we just going to generate this whole other issue where they can tick the box and go, yeah, we ticked that box, we looked after women postnatally, but what women actually need is a rest and breastfeeding support and a physiotherapy check for their pelvic floor and somebody to drive their children to school and someone to pick up all their shopping and, you know, someone to just mop the floor. Like, yeah, there's all these physical needs. I just, and that's what kind of fueled my question earlier is, is this always a medical issue? Like always, do we always need a system to deal with this or Yeah. I think when you're talking about money, it would be nice to have that support. I think when people break a leg and they get access to all this care, the reality is we have a system. The reality is in Australia right now, we're very privileged to have Medicare, right? So I think the system could save a huge amount of money if they just spent some money on mothers. You know, you look at our divorce rates, you look at what's happening to our children and all the things the system has to do that is a flow and effect of not caring for people postpartum. It's it's that. So I think we have a system. We pay into that system, right? You and I pay into it. We All three of us do. I want that system to step up. What do, I mean, everybody will be different, but at at the core, what do women need postnatally to thrive? I, I'd love to jump in just first from a, a more emotional point of view because, I mean, B, you can speak more to the physical aspects of what you see. And I think it is different depending on each each woman and what, you know, what would serve them. But I think one of the biggest things too that I see over the years that is a huge hole is the understanding what the transition is from the person before to becoming a mother, to being of service to this little person. And that is huge. I used to talk about it when I was teaching birth about, you know, women often go through what I call the death of the ego, which is when they become a mother, they often feel like they can become invisible in our culture and society because we do not revere mothers at all in our culture. We often become invisible. So before you become a mother, you're often maybe recognized for the way you look or the job you do in the world or your contribution to society. We kind of have this identity. And then we pass through that kind of veil into motherhood and it becomes all about that little person, which is what the job is. But in the eyes of society, we often feel like we become very invisible. And that was a really hard transition moving into that servitude of looking after a little person. All of a sudden, this idea of I don't actually have any time to myself, the concept of feeling touched out just because you've got a little person on you all the time, the giving and then wanting to kind of do the washing and clean your house because it makes you feel a bit better or feel like you've got some sense of control in your life. And then, and then there's the massive often 
gaping gap between perhaps how men experience this whole postnatal phase and women experience and women often wanting, I just wish you would understand how hard it is and then some partners doing the whole like, but I'm at work earning all the money and and we start playing the, you know, who's doing it tougher game and and, and I often look back to going, okay, well, what if we educated our women more around what this transition is? What if we also started to unpack some of our story before we actually get to this phase around the way we were raised and what we watched in our family of origin around the roles that people took in the family and what we believe mothering to be. It's like, you know, sometimes people are offered before they get married, they're offered counselling as a couple together. I'm like, imagine if we had that before you became parents where you could actually get together and and have some support around what this transition is going to be. So it's, it is spoken about. What happens if before we actually even have that baby in our arms, we got to process a bit of where we've come from, what imprints we've had growing up, the roles or what we're perceiving it's going to look like and how we can move back to compassion with each other and working as a team and how we all get our needs met in this scenario. I mean, they're conversations no one seems to have before you become a parent. And then, of course, when you become parents, then you've got this little person in front of you who's got a lot of needs and then it becomes pressure and then you're not sleeping enough and then all of a sudden it just becomes a massive hot pot of stuff in front of you and you're also recovering physically. It's really, really tricky. So I think on some level, we need a whole lot more education and realness before we even get to that stage to actually go, well, this is this is what it could be and this is what we know serves people better and, and let's talk about these things before we even get there so that they're on the table and we're aware of it and we can catch it before we start blaming each other and before we start competing to get our needs met and, you know, before we start, you know, spiralling. What do you see as the biggest obstacles to women when they're trying to navigate self-care in the postpartum? Well, I think I think it kind of comes back to what we talked about before is often what we make it mean, like our relationship to self-care and our relationship to getting our needs met and our relationship to support. So I think that that has a huge part to play. Firstly, just what our setup is around it, our willingness to have it, our willingness to be supported, I think is a really, really big one. I, I think that is the first place I always start is I well what 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 would it be like? What would you want it to be like? And what does that look like for you? And what are you making that mean in between? You know, because many people have a story that says I can't ask for help. It means I'm weak or it means I'm lazy or all those kind of things. So I think it's it's exploring some of those things first. You know, and I think there is definitely those challenges financially of, you know, well if I have postnatal support then it's going to cost too much money. And so there's stories around that that can happen too. And I think that's where, again, as the village, we need to call in some of those women and and friends to be like, hey, this is what this is what being supported would be really amazing for me. And what could we do together? Often people have a really hard time asking for help. So who's like your best friend, you know, who loves you and who, you know, and they're like, okay, it's this person. And I'm like, right, you need to send them this this email, which says something like, I may struggle with asking for help, but I would really love it if you could organize this for me in the postnatal period, which is just six mates to make some food for us. And I'd really love if someone could come up, you know, these are the things that I would deeply love. And maybe I struggle asking for it, but as my best friend, this would be the biggest gift you could give me, right? And, you know, as a friend, you'd be like, for sure, let me help you do that. But I think as a cultural thing, we're often not great at 
getting our needs met and asking for help. And we need to keep modeling that we do that. And it's that kind of thing. The more that we see women really embracing this postnatal phase and getting support, the more permission we have for that to happen. And so then we begin, let's change this cultural shift of this is what it should look like and this is what we need to do. So I think they're, you know, they're some of the biggest obstacles which are really around what we tell ourselves and also what our culture expects. And I think the other really big thing is a lot of people not knowing what they actually need, especially when it comes to the body. In order to heal, you have to have this deep connection to what do you actually need, right? Like, you know, imagine if you just broke your leg and then you had to look after a newborn baby. Like... We wouldn't allow for that in our culture, but we allow for these women and parents to be at home on their own trying to physically heal and emotionally transition and adjust. It's huge. And so so often I think what is a huge barrier is women and people actually going, what do I need? I don't know what I need. What is this? What am I experiencing? It's so like it's people not knowing what's there, what's there for them and what they actually need. And we're getting much better at giving people this information. But again, like my maternal and child health nurse didn't know what to offer me when I said my vagina was falling out. So if they don't know what to offer, and I'm not saying all of them do, and a lot of people are upskilling now, we're recognizing this as a problem. But most people come to me and they, like, I thought prolapse was an old lady thing. I didn't know what it was. And that is so scary. When you are so vulnerable in that postnatal period for your body to go through changes that you weren't expecting. Like no one says, hey, you know, after birth, we might feel different. If we just said that to people, then it's not so scary. Then they don't have to deal with the emotional stuff and they can seek help. And then when they do seek help, we need postpartum workers that can do the physical and emotions little stuff. And I feel like that's what I've created. I feel like that's who I am. I'm like this postpartum person now that can do all these things and it's just being generated from a need like we need to have healthcare that looks at the mind and the body like the fact we differentiate between mental and physical health just kills me it really does because the mind is nothing without the body the body is nothing without the mind it is one right and so our healthcare needs to approach healthcare like that and especially in postpartum so if the person doesn't know what they need the people that they're going to need to and i so often what i see is both don't know what's actually going on well and i and i guess my next question is for women who have the means to pay for the postpartum support they need like as a private midwife i say to everybody I think everybody needs to see a physiotherapist after having given birth. I think that there is a quota of rest and healing that you need postpartum that if you don't allow your body to have now, it will take it later through illness, infection, postpartum depression, relationship issues. It will take it back somewhere. You'll find it will find a place to manifest if you don't allow it to play out in the early weeks. So if women had the means. So say, yep, I'm going to put my money into a healthy postpartum. Where should they put their money? Where do you think would be most beneficial to their journey? 
I'm going to say, I want to say these pieces first. So okay, I think it depends, you know, on again, each individual, but I think we know, you know, we, we know that nourishing food serves you, you know, giving birth is such a huge thing that your body does carrying a baby, making breast milk, you know, all those kind of things. So we need good nourishing food. So for some people that might be investing in really beautiful food that is going to hold them, you know, for some, it is a postnatal doula who comes and visits your house every day for four hours and just will hold your baby and you can have a rest and folds your washing and just listens to you talk if you need to. For others, it is going to be physical, physio, osteo, all those kind of things. For some, it's counselling, particularly if you're finding that transition into mother really, really hard. Someone who's trained, who you can speak to around what's coming up for you because I think there's so much that can unlock when we step into that next phase. I think it is, it's really, it's, it's very individual for what people will need. So I think that there's all those things that can be really beneficial depending on who you are. And then there's also something else, isn't there, B? <laughs> oh, I was just going to say to that first that every, just like every birth is different and what you need for each birth is very different. What you need for each postpartum is different too. And so, so much of what Layla and I do is about getting you to connect to who you are and what you need. There is no checklist here. There is no script. We're not writing a textbook on postpartum because it is individual. And our greatest gift as a mother is to be able to connect in with ourselves, to listen to our body and our heart and our gut and respond to it. And healing doesn't want you to push yourself. Healing requires you to connect in and listen. And now what Layla and I are creating is this whole, hopefully, cultural shift where we're contributing to the cultural shift of you matter and you can listen to yourself and you can give yourself what you need because that's really what you need to heal. And for some people that will be really challenging. So Layla and I have created a, I'm so proud of it, it is an incredible online program that is called Holding the Mother and it is around really trying to be that modern village and creating a tool for you to be able to get some information and guidance. It's it's a program that sits on the end of your bed and listens to you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I haven't done it justice. I think I'm kind of just, I am. I'm really emotional about it because I'm so proud of it because I think it's exactly what is needed and we have kept the price low because we want it to be accessible. We really just want this information to be out there and we've worked so hard on it to create something that we really want to hold you. We want it to be able to hold you physically, emotionally and mentally and and help you to start your journey off in a way that is right for you. Yeah, mm. and it's cheaper than a physio appointment. I mean, I think you should also have a physio appointment. <laughs> yeah. but I'm just saying it's cheaper than a physio appointment and it's available on both of your websites, right? Because be your core and floor restore.com and lay all what okay these links will be in the show notes as well so if anybody if this course resonates for you you can just click on the button below this this podcast episode and it'll take you to where you can get it and lay your website um, laylestone.com.au yeah. I, I just want to also say too you know i think what we've created in that program is 
it's a combination exactly as B saying of the body and the mind. So there's beautiful, so gentle, nourishing exercise videos that B does that takes you through everything you can imagine to support your body in that postnatal phase. It's really beautiful. I mean, I, I watched her record them all and I was practicing as she was doing them, even though my youngest is 15. But also we really do address all those pieces around the emotional stuff of who is it? Who are you as a mother? And what are the feelings you've got there? And what is your relationship to guilt and self-care? And how do we communicate well with our partners and how are we feeling in our bodies and what is our relationship? And we've got beautiful relaxations and guidance. And it really is like a a big warm hug to go, hey, this is a huge phase in your life and we're here just to kind of hold and guide you. And and I really agree with you, B. I think it's everything that I wished I had have had you know, 23 years ago when I had my son, it would have been that person sitting on the edge of the bed going, hey, this is what you can do to take care of you so you can be the best mother in the world that you can be. I think definitely, definitely the emotional pieces of it to just understand what what may come up for you and where you may be, because I think then that makes a huge difference when we have information and perhaps we do have a challenging experience. You know, we have a whole section on birth trauma and just what that can feel like. You know, when we kind of go, ah, oh, actually, that's where I am. We're not in that, we're not lost in that phase of what is wrong with me and what's going on here. So I think sometimes when we have that information and we go, actually, this is what I'm navigating right now. Okay, I'm aware of that. And what do I need to support myself can make a massive, massive difference. It's also something that can be watched with partners. So you can sit down together, like even there's a, an hour long video around what can happen to your body. And I think for your partner to understand, wow, actually, yeah. It's not just as simple as a baby just pressing an exit button and coming out. Like the body is transforming and the mind is transforming. And that's being driven by a hormonal change. Like it's huge. Like the whole, you know, and really understanding matrescence. And we touch on it in, in the program that this is like an actual chemical change in our body and there are physical changes too. So there are definitely elements of it that can be watched in pregnancy. Partners can watch it. It's also not a progressive course. So you get to go, what do I need to look at? Right. And what, what, what lands with me and what feels good for me to watch right now? And, and what do I need to know? The body stuff is again, you can, you can listen to it. You can be aware of it and just knowing it. Cause I talk about how to move with your baby, how to protect yourself in that postpartum period and having that knowledge. And, you know, straight away after giving birth. Yeah. That's, that's my wish definitely for people to have that knowledge in pregnancy. So yeah, they can definitely get started on it and and look at elements of it. it it's $99 for just access. Like, you know, it's not a time limit. So you can use this for your next postpartums, your subsequent postpartums as well. Was there anything else that I haven't already asked you yet that you think women might need to hear? Uh, the one thing that I really want to say, and this is also part of my message with any parent that I work with is we need to be so gentle with ourselves when we move into new phases of our life, whether that is having your first baby, whether it's having a second and navigating a toddler and then a new baby again. We need to be so gentle with ourselves. We're all doing the best job we know how. And, you know, it's evident of what we've talked about today that our society and culture doesn't really hold and support us in the way we need. And so then we can have a lot of expectations that we're not getting it right, we're not good enough. And I always come back to this deep compassion for yourself because, you know, one of the things I've learned in my 23 years of being a mama is that I'm always doing the best job I know how with the information I have at the time. And as I'm learning and as I'm growing, 
you know, through every phase I've learned to keep coming home to myself, to being kind, to choosing compassion, to leaning into more support so that I can actually thrive in the world. So my message is always to women, be compassionate, like be really gentle with yourself. It's not easy being a parent and it's not easy navigating these changes and these phases. And the more compassionate we can be to ourselves, you know, and the kinder we are, then the more open we are to getting the support we need. Beautiful. Can I, I'm going to, can I hijack this for a little bit for a second? Because I have a little postpartum gem that all of my clients love. And I don't think there's going to be an episode that I'm going to be able to share it. And I just feel like I need a moment today to just share it with the world, not just my clients. (laughs) So I talk to women, you know, particularly women who've had their first baby and everyone, you know, they've got their life together and And then they have a baby and they wonder what the heck just happened. So I talk to women about how through your life and, you know, we're all just juggling balls, right? And there's transitions in that life where a ball drops and you got to let it roll away and then you pick up a different ball and we move on through life just juggling. We're juggling, juggling. And some people have got it together. Some people keep dropping their balls. And anyway, whatever you do, then when you have a baby, all the balls drop, right? The shower ball drops, the eating of the right food drops, The all this stuff just drops to the floor. And depending on what support you've got and what you've set up around you will depend on how quickly you can pick up some of the balls and start juggling again. So how quickly can you pick up the I'm going to have a shower every day ball, right? Does that get picked up straight away, day one, or does it not get picked up until three weeks, right? When do you pick up the, you know, I'm going to brush my hair ball every day. So gradually, right, you start to pick up the balls again that you need to be functioning in life. Some of them will roll to the side and you can see them from a distance and you think, I really want to pick up that ball, but I can't reach it. Can't reach that ball. It's got to stay there for now, but I am coming back to it. Some some balls you'll happily let roll away and you're like, I can't have that ball anymore. That's gone. And, you know, over time, you start learning to re-juggle life with your baby. But there's different balls. There's new balls. Your partner's also got balls, the other parent. And you're all they've all just dropped to the ground, right? So when women, when I tell women and they're like, what just happened? And I say to them, all the balls are on the ground. That's what's just happened. And you're trying to work out which ones to pick up. And which ones can roll away? There's some that you can see that you can't pick up and you desperately want to, and that pisses you off. So there could be bitterness about wanting that ball, but can't reach it. And no one's helping you get it. You know, there's all these things. And then they all, you just watch their face. Like they fall into this realization of where they're at in their life. And you're like, it's all right. We all drop the balls and we all have to work out how to pick them up. But I think that's where the support comes in, where some women just pick up the balls again and you're like, how is she doing that? You don't know in the background. Does she have a mum that lives with her? Does she have a partner who's got eight weeks postpartum leave? Does she have a nanny? Do her other children go to childcare? Like maybe her hairdresser comes to her home. Like we don't know anything about who's helping her pick these balls back up. There are some women who have to pick up the balls all on their own. And so that's that's the analogy that I give my clients about what just happened to you. 
and what's going to happen next. And they all seem to just resonate with that vision. I love your balls now. It's good. <laughs> and I, I realise I love your partner's balls as well. <laughs> I realise I said the partner's balls and you have to acknowledge that not all other parents are male. I'm, you know, I'm not. No, but other parents <laughs> have balls. Everyone has balls. I love it. I love that everyone has balls. I mean, the dropping of the balls is a transformation, right? Yeah. So you got to choose which balls you're going to pick up first, the most mm. important balls, and then gradually you can pick up the others over time. Yes. Talking about that. balls, I actually have a whole checklist on this, um, which is free. It's called the mental load checklist. So if you're listening to this and you aren't in, you're not pregnant, you're not in early postpartum, but you're a person and you're a lot of what we've said today has resonated. I do have for free a mental load checklist. And what it does is it goes through, it's very extensive. It took us a long time to put together, but it goes through basically everything that has to be done in a household to function in 2023. And you get to look at it and go, who does what? And it's a really beautiful tool to do in pregnancy. It's a beautiful tool to do at any time in your life to actually realize who's juggling what balls and can the ball load be more even and who can support you to pick up more balls. I love it, Mel. It just, it tied in beautifully. So um, that is free. It's on my website. It's under the freebie section and you can download that. It's a beautiful thing to do with your partner. I It does come with a warning that it can be a very heated discussion and can bring up very big feelings for everyone. The other thing we kind of really wanted to suggest here is if this program that we've created isn't for you at the moment, because you're not pregnant or early postpartum and it's, you know, this holding the holding the mother program, we've really kind of tailored to that first six months of postpartum zero to six months it's a beautiful gift for a friend and it's a beautiful way of being a part of the culture that changes and says you matter you actually matter a lot and I'm here for you and I'm going to support you gorgeous thanks so much ladies oh should I call you ladies is that bad no I'm I'm happy to be a lady (laughs) I only call women ladies I just didn't went oh is that do we not call women ladies anymore? I'm happy to be a lady. Like Just it. don't 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 call me good girl. I don't like being no. called a good girl, but I'm happy to be a lady. lady. Yeah, or I'm you can call me a queen. A Thanks, queen. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, queens. Thank you, queens, for that amazing wrap up on postpartum. And um, if anybody's interested in that course that Lael and B have created called Holding the Mother, it's available on both their websites. Under this podcast, you'll see their website links where you can click the button. And also, if you're on the mailing list for this podcast, their info will also be in the email that you get every week if you're on the mailing list. So then you can click on through there. And we will see you in the next episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Thanks for listening with us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast platform and join our mailing list at melaniethemidwife.com. Mel sends out weekly emails with access to all the evidence we use in this podcast. You can find out more about Mel at melaniethemidwife.com and find out more about me, B, at coreandfloor.com.au. We can't wait to bring you next week's episode of The Great Birth Rebellion. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> all right. <laughs>